Hear the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the thing that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and to keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Merciful God, we give you thanks for the words that we read words that you say will bless us. We pray that you would indeed bless us as we hear these words, as we meditate on them, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would know your deep love for us, your children, and your plans for this earth. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer, amen. You know, it was about a a year and a half ago, I had dinner at, at a family friend's house, and we got on the topic to what I was preaching at in the church. You know, it's exciting conversations somewhere, you know, behind, you know, how's the weather? You know, how was your week? You know, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And a thrilling conversation, and, you know, I think we were in the Gospel of Mark at the time. And, uh, and he said, you know, you know what I've never heard anyone preach about? I said, what is that? He said, Revelation. I've never heard anyone preach through Revelation. I wish someone would just preach through Revelation. I was like, well, I'll do it. And uh, so here we are on this uh, Memorial Day weekend, beginning a journey through the book of Revelation. And, uh, and, and, you know, this person isn't someone who goes to our church, but I did send him a message this week and let him know that this is his fault, uh, that I'm in this mess. But if you don't know how we, you know, structure our, our, our sermon series is uh, every summer we're in a New Testament letter. Uh, we just finished up going through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the summertime. So now we're, we're next few summers when we're going through Revelation. In the fall, we're always in an Old Testament book. Right now, we're actually going through Genesis. And then in the, you know, after Christmas time in January, we're in one of the Gospels. We just finished up the Gospel, Mark. And so actually next year, I'm going to cheat a little bit and we're going to start the book of Acts. And so for the next few years, we're actually going to be in the book of Genesis, Revelation, beginning and end. And then right in the middle, we're going to be in the book of Acts, which I think will actually provide an interesting lens for us to read these and study these books together with. But for the next few years, we are going to be in uh, Revelation. I, I planned these things years in advance. And so a year and a half ago, because I was sitting at someone's house and he challenged me about Revelation, here we are. And also, you know how to get me to preach any book of the Bible to say, I, I've never heard anyone do that. I bet you won't, you know. <laughs> you know, deep down, I'm just a teenage boy trying to prove myself. So, um, but of course, that is not the, the only reason we're in Revelation. You know, a, a bigger reason, and maybe even why this 
a friend said what he said about the book of Revelation is that, is that most of us are so confused about this book called Revelation. Uh, at the end of the book, the church is mystified by it. We argue, we fight about it. And it's this wild, mysterious book. It's intimidating. You know, it starts off innocent enough in the passage we read this morning. It's like, oh, that's good, simple, normal Bible language. Uh, but then, you know, it starts talking about wild beasts and scorpions and dragons. And, you know, you check the cover of the book to make sure you didn't accidentally pick up Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and this is actually, I think, one of the main reasons why I wanted to take us through the book of Revelation. Because whenever we don't understand something, those are the places we actually need to dig in the most, to grow in them, to try to seek to understand, especially when we believe that this is God's work. How, how important for us is it to dive in, especially to those places that we struggle to have understanding? Well, maybe we're missing something that God has for us and his people. And I think one of the things we're going to find in this study is that not only is Revelation, you know, God's word, but I think we, we might come to find that it's actually the capstone of all of scripture. Uh, and even if you're here and you hardly read your Bible at all so much so that you, you had no idea that there was any controversies around the book of Revelation, I think Revelation is the book to study because it reveals the heart of God for his people and for the world. It's a book of profound hope. If I would wager to guess, everyone in this room is in grave need of more hope in their lives. And so that's the primary reason. I think the second reason that Revelation is really important is because as I've started to read and study this, I think it might be the most relevant book in all of Scripture for us in our current day and age here where we are in the West. Because ultimately, Revelation uh, is a profoundly political book. Uh, you know, there's a beast with horns that represent the kings of the earth, and Jesus is declared ruler over all these kings. And it's a story about the changing of the guard, of, of all creation coming under the authority and the dominion of, of Jesus Christ. And we are, as his church, as his people, are actually invited into that. We are part of that kingdom. And so as we get into this book, you know, this morning will serve more as an introduction. So it'll be less preachy, more teachy. Um, you know, next week we're going to focus, I think, really on the, on the audience. Um, this week will kind of be a bit of an overview. So I just want to say one thing before we dive in is that, you know, there's four primary ways that people have read a Revelation throughout history. You know, there's, there's one that's called the Preterist Reading, which says that Revelation is about specific events that have already happened in, in time and place, and it's recorded in cryptic imagery, but, but largely everything in Revelation has already happened. As we get into it this morning and over the summer, you'll find out this is actually my view of Revelation, although not everyone that preaches on this book will have that exact view. I think we all will share with a hopeful, uh, the hopefulness of Revelation, but that is the perspective I'm going to be preaching and teaching from, and it'll come out a little bit this morning. The, the, the second reading is a historicist reading, and, uh, which says that Revelation is about the history of the, the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. So this is about the, the age of the church and the conflicts in that time. And so it isn't talking about specific events as much as this general picture of what life will be like until Christ's return. The third way um, is an idealist way, which it takes more of an allegorical reading, and it's not concerned about the specific details of the book, but more the, the patterns and how they are repeated throughout history. And then lastly, there's a futuristic uh, reading, which, is, which says that this is about specific historical events, but events that have not yet happened. So they would say none of this that's being described here has actually happened yet in history. And although I hold a particular view on this, I will say that I think we will actually learn from each one of these views. And each one of these views has things to, to teach us, although I would say some of them uh, are wrong. Um, 
but that we can learn from, from all sorts of different views, and I think they're all right in some aspects of their reading of Revelation, so we can learn from different traditions. And I will say, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, maybe you didn't know there was a spectrum, so you didn't even know where you fall, that's okay. I think regardless of that, one thing I hope that we all grow in as we study this book is, is hope. Hope for what is to come. And a confidence in that hope that we have for what is to come. I think there's, there's so much fear everywhere. Uh, fearful about the, the future, fearful about the collapse of mor- morality, fearful about everything. You name it, we're, we're fearful people. I think Revelation is the kind of book that helps us exchange our fear with hope. So that's my hope. And so this morning will serve as an introduction. I'm borrowing heavily from others, from a friend who's been preaching through this and from uh, many commentators. And so many of these words and outlines are not my own, but I hope that we can share in the work of others so that this book is no longer a place of mystery in that place that when you get this a black hole of, of your Bible reading plan, you kind of get to the first bit and you're like, eh, I like the last couple chapters, those are nice. Um, but I hope that this kind of removes some of that mystery And so we're we're going to begin this morning just asking two questions of our text, and they're these. What kind of book is Revelation, and what is it it about? What kind of book is Revelation, and what is it about? So first, what kind of book is Revelation? You know, before we know how to read it, we should know what it is. For instance, if, if you're reading, you read poetry different than you read history. But you have to know what you're reading before you begin so you can rightly understand what's being talked about. And I think there's three answers at least to this question of what kind of book is Revelation. The first is this, it's a book of hidden realities. A book of hidden realities. Verse one says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, this word revelation is uh, actually, you know, it's the Greek word that we also get a word apocalypse from. You know, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ is how this book starts. You know, when you hear the word apocalypse, what do you think? You think aliens invading, you think like, mass, like disease, it wipes out everybody, uh, end of the world, zombies, that kind of stuff. That's usually what we think of when we think of apocalypse. If you were going to go to a movie theater and see an apocalyptic movie, you'd expect that kind of stuff to happen. And, uh, but that is actually not what the word means. The word apocalypse, the revelation, that word means an unveiling. It means to unveil mysteries. It means to show us things that were previously hidden, and this word for reveal is actually typically used in scripture to talk about the unveiling of of nakedness. There's an intimacy to it. And here Christ is unveiling himself to us, his people, his bride, which makes sense because Revelation, the end of it, culminates in a wedding where Christ marries his bride, which is the church. And so here Revelation is written to unveil Christ to us, his people, which is kind of ironic in a way because normally when people think about revelation, we think the opposite. We think about veiling. We think about mystery, not an unveiling of a mystery. And yet it's actually the purpose of revelation that you can know Christ, that you can know his heart. He wants you to know him. He wants to unveil himself to you. The question is, is this, is this how you think of God when you think of God? Is the one who wants to unveil himself to you that you can know him? And when you think about God, does he often seem like this mysterious, dark matter being who actually wants to keep himself walled off from us as people? Well, friends, the very title of this book, the the name of it is The Unveiling. He is here to unveil himself. This is true. This is who he is. And verse three kind of picks up on this theme. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. It says, you will be blessed if you pick this up and read it, 
If you hear these words, if you keep these words, his expectation is that as we study this word, that it'll bless you in your life. So it should be our expectation as we jump into the study that this is unveiling of mysteries and that it will bless us in our lives. So first, the book of Revelation is the unveiling of the hidden realities to the church. Secondly, Revelation, what kind of book is Revelation? Secondly, Revelation is Jesus' book. You know, verse one, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God, the, the Father, gave to Jesus to show his servants. Was a word for, he's talking about the church there. The things that must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John to write these things down. And one of the things this tells us at the very beginning is that this book uniquely comes to us from Jesus himself. Of course, all of God's word is inspired by God and Jesus is involved in all of his word. But Revelation, I think, is uniquely inspired by Jesus. And you can see it even in John's writing in this book. It doesn't have as much of John's personality as his other letters have because it's uniquely from Jesus. So how does this happen? Well, it says that it is given by the angel of Christ, which I think is most likely speaking to us of the Holy Spirit, because it's not just an angel, one of many, but it's Christ's angel. It's the same, it's angel is a word that means messenger. It's the same spirit that is living and active in all God's words, the same spirit that has been active in the guiding of all of scripture. And he gives this to John to write down. So there's a uniqueness to this letter from the beginning that it's from Jesus Christ. And in this, I think you see the Trinity active um, in, this, in bringing this book about, right? The Father speaking to the Son, the Son speaking through the Spirit to John. You know, even this greeting in, in verse four, it says, uh, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Right, this eternal father, the seven spirits, which I think is, is an allusion actually to the, to the Holy Spirit again, the spirit that lives and breathes inside the church, right? the same spirit that hovered over the seven days of, of creation. Revelation is a new Genesis moment, a recreation moment, a, a spirit active in recreation. And finally, you find the son, the, the first to taste life after life after death coming to speak. And he speaks using many of the same images that the triune God has used throughout the, all of the Old Testament. Now, if you think a moment for the, about the entire Bible, it's 66 books written over thousands of, of years with so many different authors, right? Moses writing the Pentateuch, Isaiah writing Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah of the gospel writers, the New Testament writings, uh, it, all leading to this moment in the book of Revelation where now Jesus himself writes. This is a climax here where everything that has, has been written has been pointing towards this moment. Uh, to this book written by Jesus through the spirit by the hands of the apostle John. And so Revelation is this unveiling, uniquely coming to us from Jesus. So the question arises, and well, how would Jesus write to us, his people? This is the third and final answer to the question of what kind of book this is. And this is, is that Revelation is like a parable. Revelation is like a parable. This should not surprise us because you know, most of Jesus' teachings to his people are, are through parables. And parables are these kind of image stories meant to convey a point, but they aren't supposed to be picked apart and taken literally. For instance, think about the parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, Jesus teaches. Well, if you started planting mustard seeds in your backyard thinking that that was gonna be the thing that brought about the kingdom of God, I think you'd be missing the point. I think we all understand that it's not about actually planting mustard seeds. 
It's not to be taken literally. It's figurative language, and it's meant to be read like a parable. So how do we interpret Revelation like a parable? Well, you have to know where Jesus is getting his imagery from. And like many of the parables, Jesus' imagery is drawing on the Old Testament. So for instance, when we read verses like verse 7, which says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. What's the first image that we imagine when we read this verse, apart from thinking about the Old Testament? Well, it's easily most people will think about the end of all time when Jesus comes riding on the clouds to judge the world and bring his kingdom to bear forever and ever. However, this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7. In fact, if you have one of those cross-reference Bibles that has a little you know, letter or number by it, and it'll tell you that this is a reference to Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, um, so we have to go read Daniel 7 to understand what he's talking about here. And in Daniel 7, what does it say? It says, the Son of Man comes on the clouds. But the Son of Man is not coming on the clouds to earth. He's actually coming on the clouds to heaven, to be enthroned in heaven, to sit on his throne. And so then, as we're interpreting this, we need to ask the question, well, well, we need to ask, has this already happened in scripture and in history? Well, yes, it has. So in the ascension of Jesus Christ in Acts 1, how is the ascension described? But Jesus riding on the clouds into heaven. Jesus who is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, which we proclaim to be true every week, he's enthroned. And so we have to understand Old Testament imageries in order to interpret the majority of Revelation, to understand what's being told, taught to us by Jesus. You know, several scholars will point out that it's every book of the Old Testament is referenced in Revelation. And this is both the beauty and, and the difficulty of this book. For one, the difficulty is Old Testament's hard on its own. And so, but we have to know those things to be able to see what's happening in Revelation. But the beautiful thing is it's taken, that Jesus has taken the entire corpus of God's word, weaving it together into one final masterpiece. Making a mistake, Revelation is a masterpiece. And the layers upon layers of meaning that we've been studying for decades and generations to understand. And Jesus is writing this to us, that we might know him. That we might know his purposes in this earth and that we might find comfort and hope in him and his kingdom, which is forever and ever. And so, what kind of book is Revelation? It's an unveiling of hidden things. It's the book of Jesus to his bride, filled with images from the Old Testament. And those images are to be interpreted not literally, but carefully, like a parable. All right, so what's this book about then? What's, what's it, what's, why is it written? What's it ultimately about? Well, I'm gonna give us three answers to this question too. First, it's about the early church. You know, the, the book of Revelation's main concern is with the church in the first century. Look here at verse one, it says, Revelation, Jesus Christ, which I have given him, and it, it goes on, he may, uh, that he gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He's revealing it to the early church about things that are gonna happen soon. And he says this again in, in verse three, at the end of verse three, he says, for the time is near. Stumbling down, saying it twice, the time is near. The primary concern of Revelation is actually not our future as a 21st century church, although it has obviously implications for that. The primary concern is the future events coming in the near history from when Revelation was written, which is before 70 AD. I know that for some of us in this room, this may not be a popular take. I myself grew up believing everything in Revelation was this futuristic thing. Uh, you know, I read every last page of the Left Behind series in the 90s. I get, still get triggered every time I get on a, a plane. Um, for those who've read it, yeah, yeah. It's, 
It's a real, it's a real fear, you know. Um, but it, you know, if you if you don't know what Left Behind is, it's a, it's a fiction, it's a fictional um, story, kind of writing that futuristic position out. Um, but, but, you know, the problem with this reading is that every time Christians have tried to interpret current events to say the end of the world is near, every time that's happened, that, that endeavor has failed. From world wars to current day events to the climate in Israel, every time we try to guess the end of the world and when it's going to come, it's a giant failure. I think it's because the idea itself is completely misguided. Listen, we're told twice that these events are about to happen in the context of the early church. And we're even told who the audience is here in verse 4. It says, he is coming with clouds that every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. Right? It's to the church in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. He's writing to specific churches. Like like Paul's letters are written to specific churches, uh, written to the people who pierced him. And who were those people? They were first-century people. And even this idea of those who pierced him and, uh, uh, is, is a reference to Zechariah, which is about the inhabitants in Jerusalem who mourn over this son of man. I think the expectation from the beginning is clear that this is about first century events. And although the last part of Revelation is, is in reference to things that have not yet come to pass, right? Heavens descending to earth, all things made new, no more death, dying, and sadness. We, we haven't experienced that yet. Most of this book, I think we'll find, is written about events in the first century. So what are the events of the New Testament that Revelation is referring to? Well, it's the same events that are happening in all of the New Testament. And this, I mean, Revelation is not picking up new topics for us, but it's actually speaking to the same concerns as the rest of the New Testament. I think that's one of our problems when we pick it up. We think it's all about something new that's never been talked about in Scripture before. But everything in Revelation, is, it's, it finds its home, actually, in the rest of the, the New Testament writings. You know, one commentator, Peter Lightheart, points out that Revelation is completely at home in the concerns and the obsessions of the New Testament theology. That even the wild symbolism in Revelation depicts the events recounted in a straightforward way in Acts, as well as the events that take place after John writes. So revolution has, Revelation has the same concerns, battling the same apostolic battles as the rest of the New Testament. And if you make Revelation something different, something, new, something with new concerns, then you can make Revelation about whatever you want it to be about, which has happened in many circles. So what are these events that Revelation is prophesying about here? Well, it, it in, interp- well if we interpret this like a parable from Jesus with, with images, we should ask, is there anywhere else that Jesus talks about this kind of thing? Well, yes, there is. You know, when you, when you look at in, in the gospel, Mark, Matthew, the Olivet Discourse, in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, we find many similarities. If you don't know when the Olivet Discourse came to, to us, it's, it's the words that Jesus speaks shortly after he enters the city of Jerusalem, the week before he is about to, to die. And uh, he walks into the temple and he says, truly I say to you that there will not be left one stone upon another. Right, and he predicts the fall of the temple and Jerusalem. And you know what he says after this prediction? But he actually says, he again quotes from Daniel 7, and he says the son of man, he talks about the son of man coming on clouds, using the same language that's used here. So instantly there's a connection made that, hey, maybe there's some hints in all of the discourse to help us understand this. And of course you could say, well, Craig, of course, they're both talking about futuristic events. How do you know that they're talking about near events? Well, because what, it's because of what Jesus says right after this prediction. Jesus also says uh, in Mark and Matthew, he says that, that the generation will not pass away until these things take place. 
And the Gospel of Matthew actually says these things twice. Meaning that this is going to happen within the present generation, the first century generation. Again, we have, we have language talking to us about the nearness of the events described, and we can't just ignore them. And when you put these things together, I think we begin to see that the events that Revelation is pointing towards then is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And we'll get into more of that as, as we continue on in Revelation. But 40 years after Jesus predicted this, it actually happened in 70 AD and has not been rebuilt to this day. This is the event that's being prophesied about. It isn't something new or novel to Revelation, but it's something that has already been testified to. Which leads us to the last answer to this question about what Revelation is about. Ultimately, Revelation is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse five to six, again, it says this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Ultimately, it's about Christ, his dominion, which is forever. Jesus Christ, as it says, the faithful witness. Witness is a word that means, it's the Greek word martyr. He's the faithful martyr who died but rose from the dead, who ascended into heaven and right now sits on a stone ruling over all the kings of the earth. Right, to study this book is to study Christ himself as he reveals himself to his bride in this book. He loves us, he says, and he's freed us from our sins by his blood to make us his kingdom. Well, what does this mean for us? Well, it means that at the fall of Jerusalem and the temple, when that happened, was, was the fall of the world as we know it. This is why he is telling us about it that the fall of the, the, the temple to begin with, because it, it's essential to the story that has been unveiled before our eyes even today, as we live after this event. And you think about it, if, if a new world power, let's say Peru emerged today and destroyed all the kingdoms of the earth, and it'd be world changing, right? This is kind of like what's happening here. You get this small little, little band of people that change the world, only it's not a temporary changing of the guards like all of our earthly uh, changing of the guards are. It's Jesus is establishing his eternal kingdom. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't merely about the saving of our souls from, from, from our sins. It is that. But he does that in order to make us into his kingdom. He doesn't save us to send us out on our merry way to continue living like however we want to live, but he saves us to make us into a kingdom. Revelation is begging you to behold your king, the great conqueror of death, the great king over all kings. The rulers of this world come and go, and that will cause fear. But all we have to do is look to Revelation remember that our hope is bigger than the kings of man which come and go like the tides. Our hope is the king that created the tides. And in this we see that, that the lifetime of Jesus and the apostles is the generation on which all history turns. Right? Everything changes in their lifetime. What one world has died and, and a new one is being birthed through their witness, through their own martyrdom. Right? It's on the blood of martyrs that the church is built. Right? Built by those who witness, who, who bore witness to a belief in something that was stronger than death. Right, the old is passing away, behold, the new has come. So ultimately, the book of Revelation is about the death of this one world and the, and the birth of another. And it's been revealed how that will happen in life and in the history of the church. And I will say, although Revelation and the events it speaks of in the near context are largely about events that have already happened, 
Right? The patterns and the concerns of the church in Revelation are the same as ours. And so we apply this book to our lives just like we apply books like Romans written to a particular church or 1 Peter written to a particular church in time, understanding the context and then applying these themes to us today. And I think we will find much uh, that we can apply as we dive into this text. And you know, if you happen to wander in here this morning and you're actually not sure about the church or Jesus, let me bear witness to him. That it's in Christ and Christ alone that you will find the one that will satisfy the longings of your soul. He is the great king who removes your, your burdens, who removes your sin. He is the Lord of all and he is birthing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and he invites you to be a part of that kingdom. All you are called to do is believe and you too will be saved. You know, for the, the rest of us who are already say, hey, I believe, I worship Jesus as king. Friends, this morning, behold your king. Behold him in all his glory. And then bear witness to him. You know, the word used over and over to describe the church here is servant, which is a word that's near, near translation is slave, which kind of hints at the context that, friends, you are not your own, but you belong, body and soul, to Jesus Christ, your king. You know, the, the word witness, right, is the same as, that, that the word witness is the same as the word martyr is, is no accident. There is a death that has to take place to, to be a witness. You have, to, you have to actually believe and live like you are not your own. You have to die to yourself in order to become a slave to righteousness. You have to lay your freedoms down to embrace the cross of Christ. You are not your own. You know, but the funny thing is, this kind of upside down nature, is it's, it's only in the service to Christ, laying your life down, that you actually find true freedom. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what we're called to do, to find our freedom in Christ, to bear witness to him in our life, to live like those who belong to his kingdom. Live not fearful for what the kings of this earth can do to you because to die is gain. Live with hope. Live like the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. This is what the book of the unveiling of Christ will point us towards as we walk through it. This is what is being revealed to us in this book. May God bless us as we read this book. And may we hear and keep that which is written. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your words, even for your words which to us are confusing. May we take this as an opportunity to dive in, to do the hard work, to understand you, and may we be blessed for these efforts, and may your spirit speak to us and guide and govern us like you say he will do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.